Let's stand up. We'll, we'll pray for them here in a minute after we read from Mark 6, 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? He said to them, how many loaves have you? Go out and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fishes. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in the groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heavens and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand men. Father, we thank you for this time to be together, and we pray a blessing on this moment. Uh, Lord, we are mindful of the events going on uh, with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And Lord, I pray that you be with that situation. Lord, I pray that, uh, that your peace enter into the moment. Lord, I pray uh, for a solution other than the one that feels like we're going t- toward. Lord, I pray that you be with our missionaries. You be with Oleg and Eldar, you and their families. You be with Anya and Jinya. Lord, you be with uh, the members of Ukrainian Bible Institute. Lord, we pray for their safety. But we also pray for the safety of the people. Lord, we pray there's no... There's no bloodshed, and Lord, we pray for an avenue of peace. Uh, Lord, we pray that you be with us now in the words uh, that we've read. We pray that our hearts and our minds are open, and that your Spirit work in us something new. It's in your Son's name we pray, amen. So some of my favorite memories come from when I was a teenager in our youth group in San Angelo. Every summer, uh, from when I was in eighth grade to when I was a senior in high school, our youth group would make a trip into the interior of Mexico. Our youth minister would load a group of 30 to 40 adults and students into multiple vans, and we would drive 12 hours into various cities in Mexico. Now, obviously, this was before everything else is going on today. But there was one particular trip I remember. We were driving into the interior on one of the major highways, and if you've never uh, driven into the interior of Mexico from either Nuevo Laredo or Piedras Negras, then you haven't seen the beauty and the barrenness of the Mexican desert. The highway cuts through it, but on either side of the highway is sand, rock, and a bit of a scarcity of trees, and those particular trees are able to survive drought conditions. So with this in mind, and maybe this picture, we're driving through this landscape when suddenly the people mover that we're in breaks down. Right in the middle of the Mexico desert, the bus overheats, and it's summertime in the desert. 
And so picture this, 20 teenagers on the side of the road in Mexico, in the desert, waiting for another van to pick us up. You get a whole new appreciation for the desert when you got to sit out there for a couple of hours. You also get a whole new appreciation for youth ministry when the youth minister has to sit out there with 20 American kids complaining that it's hot in the desert. And as we're sitting there, and I can remember being there, and I'm looking around, and there's nothing, it began to dawn on me that I could not imagine living there or hanging out for any period of time. This place was bleak, it was deserted, and there was a little bit of worry that we would never get out of this. So our reading for today is in Mark 6. It has the disciples and Jesus located, did you catch this, in a deserted place. Mark reminds the readers three times where Jesus and the disciples and very soon a crowd of people are going to be. We see in verse 31, verse 32, and verse 35 that Mark continues to remind us that they are in a deserted place. Another way we could translate that is they are in the wilderness. It's as if Mark is emphasizing that they, the group, are in a very bleak place with, as we will see, no resources around them. Now, if you remember in our readings for the week, the beginning of the section of Mark 6 begins with the disciples in Mark 6, 7 through 13 being released uh, into a mission. Jesus says, here's the mission I want you to be on. And Jesus sends the 12 in pairs with nothing on their backs, nothing in their pockets, They will go to surrounding towns and they will be preaching the name of Jesus to all who will listen and receive. And they are to rely on the hospitality of those they encounter and the receiving communities. The disciples will learn and are learning, and I think that's a big thing as we've been reading uh, these passages of Mark, is that the disciples seem to be going through a gradual process of learning to trust that God will take care of them, that God will take care of their daily needs, both physical and spiritual. It's their, this is kind of their first big learning experience without Jesus. They've been with Jesus with everything we've seen up until now, and Jesus has bailed them out of most everything. But this is the first real kind of Jesus says, everybody find a partner and go. Well, Jesus, can we, take, uh, can we take a second cloak to keep, you, keep us warm? Nope. Can we take some cash? Not even cash. Well, how about some food? Nope. Trust. It's the first real big learning experience for the disciples. And how did it go? Well, by all accounts, it was a rousing success. By the time we get to Mark 6, 12, uh, and 13, uh, the disciples have proclaimed the new, new good news of the king, coming kingdom of Jesus. Uh, they have performed miracles. They have exercised demons. They have healed the sick. The ministry of Jesus seems to be flowing through the disciples as the kingdom is witnessed through them. All in all, it was a good mission trip. 
And in fact, at the beginning of our reading in verse 30, the disciples are getting ready to debrief Jesus. They're, they're so excited about everything that's going on. It's like when your kid comes back from a, a really cool event and they're talking at about 100 miles an hour and you, can't, you can decipher every third word. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so you're trying to decipher everything. You're like, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down. And they can't stop. You kind of get the sense that they're so excited about everything that has happened, about everything they've witnessed, that they just are talking so fast. And we notice in verse 30 that all of this is going on. But here's the problem with verse 30 is, well, what the disciples did ended in verse 13. And then it picked up back up again. Did you notice this? In verse 30, but in the middle of that, Mark puts this very interesting kind of passage in there. And it says that in verse 14 that Herod was beginning to catch wind of everything going on with Jesus. And if you remember Herod, Herod he's the, the son of uh, the, the king uh, Herod who uh, tried to off, uh, off, I'm sorry, I was watching a movie yesterday, who tried to kill Jesus when he was a newborn. Um, and, and so, as I said, as, as Britt was talking about in class, as he was explaining Herod, I was like, yeah, this guy comes from a really good bloodline, as you can tell. So Herod is, kept, is beginning to catch wind of what Jesus is doing, and Herod makes the comment in Mark 6, 16, 6, 16, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised? Everything Jesus was doing for Herod felt like what John had done. And so Mark places the death of John the Baptist between 17 and 29 as an interlude between the mission of the disciples. And some believe that it's a stark reminder and a remembrance of all these positive things going on with the disciples in this moment of the powers in opposition against the coming kingdom. There is the thrill of victory. There's also the agony of defeat. And so John, uh, Mark places the story of John. And so by the time we get to verse 30, it's kind of, we might have forgotten about everything the disciples did because we're reading John the Baptist's death. And in one moment, the kingdom seems to be gaining traction, and in the next moment, the death of a leader. Isn't life kind of like that when we think about it? One minute, we cannot stop talking about how good life is. We want to tell everybody from the mountaintops how good life is. And then in the next, we're not sure what life's going to look like. One minute, everything's going great. We want to tell everybody. The next day, nothing's going right, and we don't want to tell anybody. And we get to verse 30, and the disciples are ready to tell Jesus everything. And Jesus, like a parent, is trying to calm them down and says, Hey, I got an idea. How about you put a pin in everything you're telling me, and let's get away for a few days. Let's get away, as he says in verse uh, 31. Let's go to a deserted place and just have some time. Let's debrief away from the distractions so that we can process what just happened. So that we can process everything that's gone on in the last few moments. And they can't even do that because by the time they are preparing for a retreat, a group of unexpected, uninvited guests arrive on the scene in verse 33. As soon as they're getting ready to get away and they start heading to the deserted place for a little retreat, a bunch of uninvited guests show up on the scene and all their plans were dashed by a group of people and by, did you notice in verse 34, Jesus' compassion. 
The disciples are like, great, we're going to be able to get away. Oh, man, there's this group here. Jesus, get rid of them. And Jesus looks at the group, and it's by Jesus' compassion that we begin to see this whole scenario play out. The disciples see a distraction in the people. They're coming off such an adrenaline high, and now they have to deal with all of this. You want to talk about a letdown. You want to talk about, like, what are we going to do from here? But here's the thing. When the disciples see a distraction, notice Jesus sees an opportunity. Or maybe, probably, Jesus understands the moment a little bit more than the disciples do. These are people willing to come to a desert to hear Jesus speak. These are people willing to come to a wilderness to see Jesus and hear what he has to say. These are desperate people who have not been led in years. As Jesus says, I have compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. Which, by the way, is Jesus indicting. You wonder why people, uh, certain people didn't like Jesus. It's Jesus indicting the leadership. They haven't been led in years. And here's the thing. These are people willing to look for the green grass in a desert. They're willing to go to the desert to find water. That's how desperate they are. Jesus sees these people, sees where they're at, and says, they are so ready to listen. However, those disciples, and they're a pesky little group, aren't they? These disciples still aren't seeing any green grass. They see the potential of a riot because, well, remember, they're in the desert and there's no food as far as the eye can see. And if you know me or you know anybody next to you who might like to get hangry, all the disciples can see is a group of 5,000 people about to get hangry because there's nothing around them. Like teenagers being stranded in the desert with a youth minister, knowing that it's going to take two hours We're getting hungry and we're getting irritated mighty quickly. And the disciples look around and go, hey, uh, mm, mm. all right, big guy, let's wrap this up. That's great you're teaching them. It's great. Come on, come on. Hour short. We're hungry. We've been on a really cool trip. We want to tell you about it. Oh, by the way, 5,000 people who are getting hungry and there's not a Starbucks or a McDonald's close. So let's wrap this up. We're in a desert. There's nothing to eat in a desert. Jesus, let's go. But Jesus has a different idea. Because of course he does. Jesus, what does he do? He looks at the disciples and the disciples are like, let's wrap this up. And Jesus goes, i got a better idea. You feed them. You feed them. And, and as Brian Blunt says in his commentary, he says, you can almost feel the frustration of Jesus' followers when the Lord orders them to give the people something to eat. The disciples have nothing. I mean, they barely have enough for themselves when they finish dig around, digging around for food. And besides that, they're not planning on digging into their ministry reserves to feed these people. Did you catch that? Hey, um, you know how much money it's going to take to feed these guys? Uh, We're not using our money for them. That's not fair. You know, it's hard enough being with you, Jesus, and getting any money whatsoever. But the money that we do have is precious. And by the way, the food that we do have is ours. So you can almost hear the frustration as they're trying to figure what Jesus is out, what Jesus is talking about. But 
just like that, in the poof of a moment, the disciples can't and they don't believe that they can feed these people. And Jesus has planned, has something planned that they aren't seeing. And all they can see is a desert. All they can see is what they don't have. And isn't that most of us when we really think about it? When we find ourselves in a desert, all we can see is the desert. When we find ourselves in that desert moment of life, all we can see is the desert. I mean, this group had just finished a mission in which included them taking nothing. And they don't remember that they took nothing with them and came back excited because they received everything. This is the group. It's amazing how quick we forget those moments in which God provides for us. And in the next moment, we forget that God can provide anything for us. I like what theologian Ched Meyer says. He says, he says, the disciples have just returned from a mission for which they were instructed to carry neither bread nor money. Now catch this. But did you notice this in the text? They turned up with both. They got some money. We don't want to use it. And they got some loaves and fishes. We don't want to use it either. So they went on a mission with nothing, and they came back with something, but they don't want to give that something to the uninvited guest. What do they want to do? Get the uninvited guest out of here. It's as if the disciples have a sort of amnesia to the previous events of their lives. They've forgotten how God has provided for them through the hospitality of others. All they could see is a group that will drain them of their resources and time. They've forgotten and in this, one of these other things, don't we like when God does good stuff for us, right? When God blesses us, that's awesome. But when God wants us to bless others, uh, I don't have enough, Lord. You do it. And yet, what is Jesus saying? Guys, bless. You were blessed. Bless. But we don't have enough resources and time. Trusted God in a mission. Trust God in this moment. The desert moments of life have a tendency of causing us to forget the plans of the kingdom. The desert moments of life have a tendency of causing us to forget the past work of God in our lives. We kind of get this almost individualistic idea that it's for us but not anybody else. We're here today. You are sitting in this room today because of the goodness of the kingdom. When all we can see is the vastness of despair and pain, when all we can see is the desert in front of us, it can feel as if nothing and no one can help us. We're in this all by ourselves, and we must get out of it all by ourselves. It's like we think that God can't work in the desert, or that God isn't in the desert. But here's the thing. Even in the desert, what do we begin to see? God is present. Even in the desert, God will provide. Did you notice the little interesting detail in the passage? Maybe you've heard me talk about green grass a little bit. Missed it the first couple times I read. But in verse 39, then he ordered all of them to sit down in groups on the green grass. Jesus points to the green grass in the desert. The place that seems to be doing all right. The place that seems to be flourishing. And he tells the people, sit on the green grass. The oasis in the desert. The hope in the midst of nothing. When all is bleak, yet there's still water. It's amazing the disciples didn't see the green grass. It's not as desolate as the disciples might have thought it was. In the desert, there is still hope. 
It's easy for doubt to creep in when we're in the desert. It's easy to miss what God has done and what God is doing in the desert. It's easy to mistrust God in the desert. And yet, God calls on us to trust and believe. Look for the green grass around you is what Jesus says. It's there. God is there. Jesus calls on the disciples to believe and trust that the kingdom can provide for his people. The desert moments whisper to us that we don't have enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough energy. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough people. Why do you think the disciples get into a survival mode about food and money? It's easy in the desert to give up. But what does Jesus do? He invites the people and the disciples to partake in the green grass of the desert. He invites to see beyond the desolation and invites them to a feast of plenty. When the disciples say this can never happen is when Jesus steps in because Jesus always steps into a never. Jesus makes the way in the desert to the green grass. And I wonder if we can believe that even in the desert that there's green grass just ahead. So I was reading a story today. Maybe you saw it this week. And it's a story that almost made me become a Philadelphia Eagle fan. I knew that would make you all laugh. <laughs> I, bet that, I bet if you were asleep, you just woke up. So I appreciate that. So there's this girl named Audrey, uh, Audrey Soap. And in 2021, Audrey probably considered 2021 to be the worst time of her life. In fact, she probably thought it was a desert time for her. And it would have probably been a desert time for all of us. Because in 2021, Audrey lost her father and her grandmother. I'm sorry, her father and her grandfather, and the daddy-daughter dance was coming up. So Audrey's mom decided to reach out to Audrey's favorite NFL player, Eagles safety Anthony Harris. She knew it was a long shot, and she knew she was just a shot in the dark, but hey, when a mom sees a daughter struggling, you'll do whatever it takes. But get this. Not only did Harris say yes, but he covered the cost of Audrey's dress, her shoes, her hair, and her makeup. He had a car with the driver come pick her up, and he even made sure to take time to talk to Audrey's brother about football. Audrey's mom said this about the experience. It's really encouraging for me, and it sort of turned this horrible tragedy into sort of a triumphant moment. And all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish. God has a way through the desert moments of life. In the desert, there's still green grass. Each of us has seen it in our own lives. God has provided when there was nothing there to provide. And now God is calling you into the desert moments of people's lives to be the green grass for them. Do you believe that God will do it again? When life feels like there is desolation, when it doesn't feel like there is any way out, we're reminded that God made so many ways out for us. A quote I read the other day said this, even this desert of discipleship, God still has the power to raise up green grass. When nothing was around, desolation, no food, no nothing, 
Jesus steps in and says, I got green grass for you. There are people in your life now who are going through desert places. You are their green grass. You just have to realize it and trust and believe that that's who you are. And that in the, but Russell, I don't know what to say to them. That's okay. One step forward and let the Spirit do the rest. Can you trust and believe today that you are the green grass in someone's life? Not only that, can you trust and believe that if you are in a desert right now, there is people in your life that want to be the same green grass for you, that you're not in it by yourself. That all around you are the resources and the energy that you need to get through it. The disciples struggled with that. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. These people are annoying. And Jesus says, deal with it. They came to see us. Let's be the green grass for them. In the midst of the desert, there's an oasis, and Jesus is calling us to it. And Jesus is calling you to be the oasis for somebody who's in the desert right now. If you have any needs this morning, if you find yourself in a desert place, if you just say, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't see any green grass around me, Russell. That's okay. Just take one step to any of us in here. We'll be that for you today. If you have any needs, come now as we stand, as we sing.